Happy Mother's Day. Uh, Maya, yeah, let's give a, let's, let's celebrate our moms real quick, man. Let's just, absolutely. I have a unique opportunity this morning. Um, um, my mom's not here today. Actually, my mother-in-law and my mom, they're both gone. And um, I was thinking about, uh, so yesterday I went by my parents' house and uh, I mowed the lawn for them because it's going to rain all week, I think. And I put some flowers out for her so that she would come home to some flowers. But uh, um, it's crazy for me. Man, it's, it's, it's amazing for me to be able to speak in front of my mom every week. You were supposed to do this at the end of the message, Jeff. Okay. Um, it's crazy for me. Um, no one knows. I mean, I can't be fake in front of my mom, you know? I can't put on a show that I'm somebody I'm not in front of people who know me. Um, my mom can see a preacher, but she can also see the young man that raised his voice a lot that talked back constantly and still does. Um, that's full of pride. She knows that side, right? Um, my mom had a very rough childhood. She broke her arm, and her dad died all, almost the same time. Her mom started dating. She was raised by her grandma. She had a very difficult childhood. And it gets into stuff that I can't even talk about. It goes beyond that. But it was rough. And she invested in me to make my childhood exactly the opposite. Instead of tragedy in my childhood, I was going on trips to Hawaii and Europe. I was coddled at home. And... Um, Woke up to fresh bread, fresh cinnamon rolls, and to be honest with you, that's the story of my childhood. There's not a whole lot of tragedy I'm going to bring to you. It was actually nothing but beautiful suburbia, but only because of a mom that knew what hard times were and what sacrifice was. And to bring this into the message today, I should have the humility to care more what people thought of me. There's a lot of people that could come to me and say, I didn't like your message. I liked your message. Paul says something in 1 Corinthians. He says, this is Paul talking. He says, I care very little what you think of me. I care very little about the judgment of you or any human agency. I don't even care about my own opinion of me. This is what Paul says. He says, I don't even judge myself. But God is the judge of all men, and I will stand before him, and I will stand before the one who knows my heart. So I'll tell you this, man. If my mom, after a service or after a sermon, ever came to me and said, I'm disappointed, I didn't like that message, oh, man, (laughs) I'm broken. Why? She knows me. She knows who it is where I'm coming from, where my heart is coming from. Yes, what I've been through. And and, and where I am today, she knows. And that's the thing, is for Paul, 
he came from this history, and I want you to feel his heart when he presents what he's about to say in 2 Corinthians 5. I want you to feel his heart and where he's coming from. This man was Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jew. He was somebody. He was recognized as the, he, he's the pet student of, of Gamaliel. He was somebody respected and honored. He was on his way. If he wasn't part of the Sanhedrin, he was going to be on the Sanhedrin. He was somebody. And now he sacrificed all of that. He's over here in Greece where they recognize Aristotle. They might recognize Plato. They might recognize some of the big names and the philosophers of their time but or in the years past. But you are a Jew. You're a hillbilly from Judea. And he was ridiculed and he was mocked. He was looked down upon. And in first and second Corinthians, he doesn't want to defend himself because of himself. He would tell the people, I know twice as many bad things about me than you do. He didn't care about defending himself, but he had to defend his gospel. And that's why 2 Corinthians is written. He says, listen, you judge me as much as you want to, but the message I want to present to you, don't judge that because it's coming from my heart. And I want to just get into the text, um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. I want to begin where I uh, kind of left off last week. I-, I wanted to set a record straight with the Holy Spirit. And, and I-, I hate talking like that because it's like I'm, I'm some scholar or something. I'm, I don't. But it's important to me when I talk about what the Holy Spirit is and who the Holy Spirit is. It's sacred to me. Because I think in so many ways we have taken the idea of God and the Holy Spirit and and we have made it so impersonal and made it more like he's something that descends in certain areas to put on a magic show and then he goes back. We have this weird idea about what the Holy Spirit is today. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God. And I just want to leave it at that. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament is the same as He was in the Old Testament. When the Holy Spirit descended on the tabernacle, they didn't say, there's God up there and, oh, He's given us this visitor down here. No, it's the very Spirit of God that has descended and is here in our midst. And the people would shake and there would be fear and there would be love and there would be awe. And it was this, uh, God, you have set your tabernacle among us. And it was a big deal when the people were in the presence of God. When Moses came in the presence of God and Abraham came in the presence of God, they were just in awe of this almighty God. And then he would go and leave and it would be this kind of a thing. And then the New Testament, and there's a fulfillment of prophecies in Zechariah and Joel and other places, when the Spirit of God is poured out in Acts 2, it is a big deal. And we treat it today in a lot of churches. They think of it as, man, the, the, the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts 2 and Acts 8 and Acts 10. And it, maybe that happens again today. Maybe he pours himself out in certain things. Listen, I want to set that straight. It doesn't work that way. That makes it so less powerful. I want to show you why. When he was poured out in Acts 2, that was a major event to fulfill prophecy where God said, I'm going to pour my spirit out on mankind. And he said, this is my tabernacle, these people, the Jews. And then in Acts 8, he did something amazing. And he said, oh, and also the Samaritan. And he poured out his spirit on the Samaritans. And then in Acts 10, the same thing. And he pours out his spirit on the Gentile. 
And he says, this is my tabernacle. All people, I will make you my tabernacle. Enter into covenant with me. Come into covenant with me. Let me make my home with you. And that's what we were talking about last week when we talked about what it is to say that the Holy Spirit indwells the Christian. And it brings me to my knees when I think about this. Um, it's his presence with us and in us. You can't conjure him up. And he doesn't prefer dimly lit rooms and soft music. His presence is manifest not in particular buildings, at select assemblies, at various times of the week. I don't like to hear language like, God showed up. I don't like to hear that kind of language. It's in him, Luke wrote in the book of Acts, that we live and move and have our being. He is ever present. And that brings me to my knees because it's not the kind of thing, and that's what I shared with you, the illustration of Jason and I in a tent last week, to say it's not the kind of thing where I get to visit him at church or visit him in prayer and then leave him and come back. He is here. And he doesn't leave. He is ever present with me, and my life is a prayer to him. My life is worship to him. He knows me inside out. Psalm 139, for many of you, is very sacred to you. Oh God, you've searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. I can't escape you. And that psalm ends with these words. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and see if there's any wicked way in me. I want you to look inside my being. This is the God I stand before constantly. And I get nervous today that in Christianity and churches, we've made him something way less distant than he is. An ever-present God that indwells us. So Paul writes these words. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body... We're away from the Lord. Now, it seems to contradict what he had just said. He just, this whole book, he's talking about the ever presence of God, but he says this, but something greater is still coming. That he's given me this spirit as a deposit. He lives with me, but something greater is coming and he lives for the eventuality of judgment. Now, what I'm going to talk to you about today is judgment. So I know that just put a weird Wait on this message and on the room, okay? But judgment for Paul was something he eagerly anticipated, like Job. Remember when Job, that was his one prayer through the whole book. Ooh, you're judging me, I'm judging me, my wife's judging me, it seems like everything's judging me, but the righteous judge will come and he will vindicate me. And I know that while I am still in the flesh, I'm going to die, but while I'm still in the flesh, he will come. And I will stand before him. And that is the way Paul looked at this judgment. I eagerly anticipate this. Why? And we're going to talk about this because I don't want this to be something ooh, necessarily that we're fearful of. But in some ways, yeah, we should be. But the, the Christian looked not at death, not simply at resurrection, but a focal point throughout the Gospels is the judgment. I will stand before the very throne of God. And you won't be able to talk back because he's going to expose my heart. Jeff, this is who you are. He's going to take me and he's going to say, I know you inside and out. And this is who you are. There's nothing I'm going to be able to say in response because he knows me better than I know me. This is the God I'll stand before. 
And it just, it brings me to my knees, and I hope it's a godly kind of fear that we have of it, but it's something I want to focus on. I want to read to you some verses that talk about this, just to show you how much of an emphasis God puts on this. John, John 5, 22, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. And 27, he says, he's given him authority to judge because he's the son of man. 939, this is all John, for judgment I have come into this world. How about that? Christ said, the whole reason I came here was to judge. He goes on and he says, it says this, Acts 10, he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Acts 17, he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. In, 14, in Romans 14, he says, We will all stand before God's judgment seat. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. And finally, in First Corinthians, the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, he says, Again, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. Now, I want you to catch something about how Christ is revealed, particularly in the book of John. And I am going to go through several verses here real quick to just show something about how Jesus demonstrated himself as this righteous judge. And the opening of, of John, when he stands before Nathaniel and he's calling Nathaniel, he says, man... This is a righteous man. There's nothing guilty in this man. And Nathaniel opens this book of John by saying this. How do you know me? That sounds arrogant when he just called him righteous. But I saw you under the tree, man. How do you know me? And you start seeing this is a theme in the book of John. John 2 says this. He knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man. For he knew what was in a man. And John 3, Nicodemus comes to him. And he exposes Nicodemus to himself. And John 4, a Samaritan woman says this, after she leaves Christ, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. In John 5, Jesus says, I know you. I know that you don't have the love of God in your heart. This goes on in every chapter of John. You start seeing it's a major theme that Jesus looks into the heart of mankind. Every single person you, have you ever had someone judge you for something and they didn't have a clue who you were, but they made a judgment about you? I mean, I, I think that's happened to most of us where you said, you, why would you say that about me, good or bad? You don't have a clue who I am. You don't have a clue my history or anything, but you would make that judgment about me. I've dealt with that a lot. Being in a, a preacher in a church of Christ, you know how many people make a judgment about me based on that? Man, I'm staying away from you. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. I've been there. I know that. I know you. I know the kinds of things that you're probably thinking and saying. The judgments that you already feel. And you're like, man, you don't know the struggles I've had. The struggles I have. And, and just wanting to say, man, I, I, I want people to see me. But this Lord I stand before, he sees me. He sees every thought. He sees every deed. And he stands in John, John chapter 8. This one I think is super cool. An adulterous woman is brought to Christ. And he is called to be this judge in this situation. So the law says we should stone her. What do you say? You know the part of the text that we think is just superfluous, I think, is the point. It says Jesus stooped down and he drew in the dust. 
And we've always asked the question, uh, well, what did he draw? It doesn't matter. I don't think he drew anything. That's not the point. The point is what he was drawing in. Because he was referencing the law of jealousy in Numbers chapter 5. It says this, when an adulterous woman is brought to the temple, you're supposed to take the dust of the temple floor and she's supposed to drink it. And it exposes the truth of what's inside of you. Now, it sounds weird, but I'm positive that's what Jesus was referencing. And he looks up and he draws it. They're in the, ta- the temple. He draws in the dust on the floor and he's looking at him in the eye. He says, I know the truth about what's in this woman's heart. And I know the truth about what's in you. Drop your rock. Walk away. You know the truth and God knows the truth of what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish here with this woman. Throughout the book, he is the righteous judge. Revelation closes with the same idea. Christ stands before the churches and he says what? I know you. I know where you live. I know your deeds. I know your works. I know that you have little power. I know. And he keeps saying, I know you. And I don't know if that gives you comfort or if that gives you fear, but this is the God that Paul stands before when he writes these words. Um, He writes this in in verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from the body. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him in the body, the things done in the body, whether good or bad. That verse, man, I struggled with it. Now, maybe you do too, because I was thinking, man, I thought it was by grace that I was saved. Ephesians 1, right? Romans. I thought it was by grace and not by works. I thought if it was by works, man, no one could stand before your throne. And here he's saying, man, I'm going to be judged for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. It says in Ephesians 2, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this isn't from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. And I had to struggle with these ideas in my mind. I says, God, what is this? Is it by your grace? And theologians have done crazy stuff with this problem. And they've said, well, it's it's if it's by grace and it's not by works, then you have no part in it. God simply chooses those who are His and those who are not His. And you were born to be firewood in hell or you're born to be His child, but you don't have a say in the matter. That kind of teaching is dumb. I won't say a lot of things are dumb, but I'm going to call that dumb. No, you do have a choice. You stand before a God And you have a decision to give your heart to him or not to him. So how do you reconcile these two ideas? It's this. There are two ways to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In Christ or out of Christ. And you make a decision here and now where I am. But none of my works, nothing I do in this life is going to amount to anything. But the thing is, am I in Christ or am I out of Christ? That's why the book of 1 John was written. It's written to say, how do you know if I'm in Christ or I'm out of Christ? And making that decision now, we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. But I wanted to share this with you. Psalm 130 says, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. You're feared because what? Because with you, there's forgiveness. There's reason to fear you because you have the power and the love and the heart to forgive. And so Paul, in his writing, and I want you to remember this as we go forward in this book, 
He sees himself as constantly standing before the throne of God. I've shared this with you a lot, but this is a sacred topic to me because it has helped my life so much. He constantly says things like this. We speak before God with sincerity. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What we are is plain to God. That's coming up. We have been speaking in the sight of God is how he's going to close this book. That's all just from Second Corinthians. Throughout this book, he says, I stand in the sight of God. I stand before God. I'm doing this before God. What he is saying is this, man. Whether I'm judged by anybody else, whatever you think of me, whatever they think of my message, I want you to know this. I know that I'm going to stand before God's throne. And I know that right now I stand before his throne. And I have to set my right, my heart right before him. Um, going on, he says this in verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. And this is getting into next week a little bit. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God. He sees us as, he, as we truly are. And I hope it's plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what's in the heart. Twice in this book, at least, he accuses them of being superficial. Later, he's going to say, you're you're looking only on the surface of things. You look so superficially at the situation. Francis Chan delivered a sermon that was so powerful, I, I really just wanted to stop today and play part of it, but I wasn't technologically savvy enough to do it. But um, he said something so powerful in one of his messages. And he said, you know what, throughout my career, and this is towards the end of his kind of his public preaching career. He still speaks in places. But he said this. He said, man, people have said I'm a good speaker. People have said I'm gifted. People have said all these things about me. And he goes, and I, don't get me wrong, I'm thankful for that. But when the end of my life comes, do I want to be known as a good speaker? Do I want to be good, known as a good communicator? Do I want to be known as any of those things? He says, no. I want to be remembered as a righteous man. I want to be remembered as somebody who loved his God. Forget gifts. Forget all this other stuff. Forget what you can see. I want to be remembered as somebody who genuinely was in love with his God. And I want people to know that. I want, I want not to be remembered that thousands of people came to hear me speak. I want people to know that I honored my mom. I want people to know that I took care of my family. I want people to know that there was genuine love in me. So this world that looks at the church and looks at Christianity and says, you're just a bunch of hypocrites that fight and argue and get angry because that was the culture of the church you grew up in and you think that's okay? I'm going to look at you in the face and say, Christianity still exists today. In the form of humility, in the form of righteousness, in the form of love, it is still there. It's still alive and it's still active. And this world will see it in me. And he says this. Um, oh man, I'm getting ahead of myself. He, 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 says, he says this, man. I'm making a decision in my life that I'm going to make some radical changes. And he did, man. You study his life. And he, he's somebody who I really honor because of th- some things he's done. But I want to make those changes. And he's in, but the most powerful thing he said that I wanted to give to you is, stop looking at the here and now. This is who I am before God. And start making a plan and saying, you know what? What I am now is not what I will be. And I am going on this journey to make a life 
not that gives me credit, but a life that causes God to smile. I want somehow at the end of my life to stand before God and say, man, I I don't know how the path led to this, but God, look what you've done in me. Look at the art that you've created in me, that I'm being restored more and more to your image. And I want to stand before him like that before he takes my life from this earth. And that's the beauty of what Paul is writing throughout this book. And I need to keep going in my text. And he, go, he goes on and he says this. I'm sorry for the creepy picture, but it helps my illustration here. He says this. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again. We're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, rather what's in the heart. He goes on and says, if we're out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us that we are, and we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. And then he says these words. This is verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. I just thought about, um, and I wanted to share it again today, but again, I wasn't ahead of myself enough. But Daniel shared a video that the youth group did in Japan that was kind of based on this masks idea. And, this, and, and who I am before this world and how the way I see other people before this world. And we all have this. We all have this thing where I care about what you think of me. And I know that people respond to me different if I dress one way or if I dress another. I know that I draw one crowd if I wear shorts and sandals and another crowd if I wear a suit and a tie. I know that external appearances matter. I know that. And so I do live accordingly. And I, man, it's not like I don't get up and comb my, what's left of my hair. It's not, it's not like I don't try. But the, but the thing is, he says this, but we don't regard people this way. We look past their masks. We look past their clothing. We look, look past their facades. We look past all of this stuff. And we think about how Christ views people. And this person is rude and they're ugly and they're arrogant. And I don't walk away from that person. I see them as a child of God and I love them through it. The way a mom loves her child I love them even when I see your faults, even when I see your shortcomings, even when I see everything in in you, I see past it. If you're homeless, I see past it. If you're wealthy, I see past it. If you're consumed with stuff that's shallow, I see past it and I love you. And that is the excitement of Paul's life. What transformed in him is he began to see people as God saw them and it gave him mission. It gave him a mission in people's life and said, listen, I have been sent to every person that I encounter and I have to recognize I am, and this gets in the next week, an ambassador for Christ. As God, as though God, and that verse says this, as though God were making his appeal through me. Be reconciled to God. I want, he wants you back and he wants this relationship back and you won't intimidate me. By external matters, I'm not going to judge that way anymore. I'm going to leave that judgment to God, and I'm going to love people regardless of the masks that they wear. All right, move on. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
Mm. He is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And getting the heart of what he just said there, this is the way I'm going to stand before my God. Not the way the world has shaped me, not the way I have shaped me, but when I gave my life to God, I said, I am a failure. You've given me clay and I've tried to shape it and I've tried to make something beautiful and I need to give it back to the hands of the potter because I have butchered this. I have messed this up. And I need you to reform something in me. And the God of Jeremiah and the God of Isaiah and the God of Psalms, who is this potter who reaches inside of the vessel and says, I'm going to recreate in you something new. Not by changing the way you look or changing the way you dress. I'm going to completely rip out your heart of stone and I'm going to put a heart of flesh inside of you. And I'm going to recreate you from the inside out. The most incredible gift I think I've been given in my life outside of my family, is the fact that I've gotten to be witness to so many people with transformed lives. Getting to witness that, getting to see somebody and you knew them one way, and to see what Christ can do to absolutely change and transform a life at any age, at any time. One man just had lunch with me. He asked me to come down to Denver and meet with him. Um, He's a... uh, He's a firefighter. Uh, well, I, I guess he's captain or something high up in Austin. And um, I remember when I was in youth ministry, I, I, I split up our youth group into small groups. And this was at a time in the church where you're not supposed to do that. That was splitting the church or something. It was weird. I got all, People were angry at me for starting small groups. And he was five times my size. Um, Massive man, huge man, with a voice that shakes the earth. And this is true. And uh, he backed me into a corner. And he said, what are you doing to our church? He was angry with me. And um, I was cowering. I was so scared I couldn't answer. And he was just so angry with me for getting into small groups. And he was a man that I feared because of his size, because of his voice, because of his... uh, what I considered a legalistic stance. You know, one day he called me, and he ended up becoming one of my closest friends. Um, he's a man that I honor and respect <laughs> and love him and miss him. But he called me one day, and he said, Jeff, I have to meet with you now. Can I just go to your office? And I said, well, I'm dead. I did something wrong. And he just broke down in tears in my office, and he said, God has taken a hold of my life. And I can't explain to you what happened, but God has taken a hold of my life and I don't know what's next. But now I recognize the spirit of God is so real and so alive and it was about church. And now it's not that way anymore. It's about God. And to see what happened in his life from that point forward, this man became immediately like a spiritual mentor in my life because something transformed in him. I've gotten to see so many transformations in people's lives. I've gotten to see it in my own life and witness it here. C.S. Lewis said this, You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are, and you can change the ending. I just want to share with you some verses, and I'll close out. 
that deal with this. Psalm 51. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Psalm 51 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Christ said, Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Um, one of the craziest things is in, in Hebrew culture, in ancient Israel, the seat of your emotions actually wasn't your heart. You know what it was? Your kidneys. And uh, your liver. All of these had this sort of emotional tie. And it uh, actually says in Proverbs twenty three sixteen, My kidneys will exalt you. My lips will, when you, when you speak what is right. Uh, actually uses the word from my kidneys. This is what exalts you. I want to show you something really cool. And the Levitical sacrifices, when you would sacrifice an animal, there's some weird things about it, but it was all very richly symbolic. You would present the fat, the meat, you would present all these portions, but guess what you also did? You separated the kidneys and you separated the liver. I mean, this is gross. How, a great way to end a sermon. And you lifted them up as part of the sacrifice before God. And it was a way of saying, listen, this represents me, but this represents my inmost being. I lift this up before you, the heart of who I am. You look deep inside of me and I sacrifice this before you. God has the power to change this in a person. And um, I know it's a difficult question to ask, and I want to ask this. I'm going to pray a prayer over us as a body. I want to also pray a prayer of thanksgiving over our moms. But I, I want you to know this, that sometimes, men, you know when your heart's not right before God. You know when your heart is not right. And when you stand before the throne of God in this judgment that every man is appointed to face, when you stand before him, it's not going to be this, well, here are my works in this hand. Here's my righteous deeds in this hand. That's not what we're dealing with. But we are dealing with this. You know your heart. You know whether you gave this to me or you did not give this to me. You know deep inside where you stand here. And I pray that not one of us would have so much pride that we are not honest before him. I pray that you have not come to a point in your family, in your life, in your career, where you've got so much pride, you won't be honest about this. It happened to me when I was a kid. I got in trouble a lot with my mom. But I went and looked at all my Christmas presents. I opened the suitcase um, that they thought they were hiding them in with a key that I found in my dad's dresser. I opened them. I opened every single package. I opened all of them and played with all of my Constructicon robots that were from the Transformers. I played with everything. I took out a little toy plane. I played it with the yard. This is the kind of kid I was, man. I, I put it all back, wrapped it all neatly, put it back in the suitcase, zipped it up, locked it, done. My dad and my mom come home. They sit me down in the living room and they said, son, we have a problem. I said, we do? Someone broke in our house. 
Oh no. Yeah, we just saw somebody was in our closet messing with all of our stuff, and I don't know. Um, we're going to have to change the locks on the house. Um, we're really concerned about it, so just want to let you know. Uh, it's going to cost us a lot of money to do all that, but um, we're, we're going to have to do it because we had a burglar. And I said, oh no, I'm sorry. Is there anything you want to tell us? Maybe you should get a security system too. <laughs> My parents were those parents, they, they were trying to dig the truth out of me, and that wasn't coming out of me. Uh, no, not until however many years later when I'm in a pulpit. Okay, I did it. But you stand before God, and he knows your heart. You can be dishonest before man. You can be dishonest before your family. You can't be dishonest before God, not in prayer. And I just pray that he convicts us, especially when we're on this journey through Second Corinthians, that he will cause us to be honest with ourselves, with our sin, and where we are right now, and that he will give us the conviction to move forward in our walk with him. Um, the risk, and I know I need to close, but I do need to say this um, before I pray. Um, the, the reason why is because you were put on this earth for a purpose. Every single one of you. You were given a purpose that God designed you for. And it terrifies me that you have the ability to say no to it. And to go to your grave and saying, I was put on this earth for a reason. And it goes to Steve's class this morning to echo the image of God in this world. And to go to my grave saying I had too much pride to allow you to work in my heart can't happen. So I pray that his spirit would convict you. Um, that we would not be a church that would be known for our services, our speakers or our singers, that we won't be a church that's known for our programs. I pray that we would just be God's church that's known for a passionate love for him and a thirst for righteousness. My God, I want to come, bef- um, I want to come before you And I ask God that you would arm us with the conviction that you are. And you're a God of incredible love. A God of holy, beautiful justice. And I pray, Father, that um, through us and through your word and through your people, you would remind this world that your kingdom is alive and active in this world and that Satan is still falling from his throne like lightning. I praise you, Father, for the family you've given us, for the lives that are being transformed, that are changing, for every person that you brought here, for the person that you brought here that doesn't even want to have a thing to do with you. But somehow by your spirit, you're reaching in and you're transforming lives even there. And I want to thank you for my mom, for how you have spoken to me because of her and through her. I want to thank you for the moms that are in this room that have made sacrifices that nobody knows except for you. And I just want to thank you, Father, for um, the beauty of the families that you've given us. And I, I ask, God, that you will bless the moms in this room. I pray that you'd bless them with patience, arm them with wisdom. But mostly, I just pray, Father, that you would speak to this world through them about what love looks like. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's stand and worship our God together.